Welcome to No Hope, the podcast. The worst hookup of my entire life. Hello, Hello. everyone. Hello, friends, lovers, colleagues, you know, the whole and others. The, the whole gamut. Strangers. The whole gamut. Strangers. Hopefully, there's some Hopefully. strangers. This is No Hope, the podcast. I'm Tim Allmiller. And I'm Scott Schneider. And hopefully, if you're and still listening are, by now, you know that, but um, but maybe you don't. But if, but if this is the first time, we are two cisgendered, white, middle-aged, wait, did I already say gay? Um, no. I think it can just be assumed, because we have a podcast <laughs> about musical theater, so... And I'm, and I'm using a hand fan right now because it's so fucking hot in my apartment. So just keeping it real. Well, we, you know, when you're doing these things, when you're trying to be professionals, you have to get rid of all the other sounds in the room. That's so there's true. no fan. There's no AC. There's no windows open. Um, because apparently uh, you have noisy birds over there. Is that what oh you're saying? Oh my God, I have the loudest fucking birds and it's lovely because i have like you know all these trees and green space out our window but like this time of year i'm like do i live in a fucking aviary like in the morning at like literally five in the morning there is there are some birds that it sounds like i have gotten in a time machine and gone back to the jurassic era because it's like is there a fucking pterodactyl like it is that level of loud um That's so absurd. It's so absurd. I mean, I, mean, I may, the, the, I will record the, it. The, the next level time. of drama. I mean, you should record it. I will. You should record it. So we and we could play a little sample of it, so people can know the the torture yeah. that you experience. Oh, I um, think they're like blue jays or something, um, because I've like glared at them like during the day before. Oh my god, we should probably talk about something else. This is really not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. We should. I, so, I, re- so we, yeah, so we're musical theater writers, and we decided early on in this uh, state that we're now in, sort of eternally, that we were going to uh, do something to entertain ourselves and hopefully our friends and, as you said, some others and perhaps a few strangers here and there. And we're still doing it. We're still plugging along with No Hope, the podcast. We're still talking about musicals. um, And we're still uh, experiencing (laughs) in various ways all of the things that the rest of the country and the world are experiencing. And uh, we're going to march ahead. We're going to march forward in in on this lovely Monday evening where um, people are still protesting around the country, getting tear gassed, um, our country's falling apart into a shithole state, and we're gonna we're gonna give you a, a little escape, a welcome distraction. That's what we're gonna do. A, a distraction. Um, do uh, I? I don't listen to our episodes, so but I think that you. I think that you <laughs> might. So is there? Is there? Is there anything that we needed to, like, you know, rewind on? Rewind! Yes, we should rewind. We should rewind. We had several um, uh, things that we, several questions that that just, like, kind of were hanging out. One of them was about Wicked, 
was Wicked becoming a film. Oh. So I looked that up. It has, so Wicked has an IMDb page, but no dates or cast are listed. However, it was announced in February of 2019 that Stephen Daldry, who who has directed many, many things, but um, probably most notably for me, Billy Elliot, which I think is such a brilliant film. uh, film. He will direct the feature film adaptation from a screenplay by writer Winnie Holtzman, who was a writer on My So-Called Life, and who also wrote the book for the musical, and (laughs) composer-lyricist Stephen Schwartz, uh, who, of course, wrote the music and lyrics for the Broadway musical. So those are the three names that are attached. Um, And then, yeah, there were a few other things about, like, casting, but I decided, you know, we had already talked about that, so we'll we'll save Everybody's forgot. Everybody's forgotten. Exactly. Um, where did you go? Where are you going? Oh God. I just, I realized that my air conditioner came back on and it's, uh, I hope that, do you hear it? No, no. But I'm sitting here paranoid that you can hear the hand fan that I'm using. I can't hear your hand okay, fan. Okay, good. I can't hear your oh, This is a um, thrilling conversation. <laughs> um, was there... <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Hedvig. Yes, Rebecca Naomi Jones took over for Lena Hall as Yitzhak. Oh, um, Ooh, I'm sorry I missed that. Lena Hall left. Um, and then the other thing that we were talking about was uh, all related to Green Day. Michael Mayer, who directed um, American Idiot, mm-hmm. sorry, was related to American Idiot. Green Day's American Idiot, I think is what they called it. Uh, Michael Mayer. I can't believe that you didn't know this. Actually, he directed. He's directed a ton of stuff, but the the things that were the the standouts were this play called Sideman, which I actually saw when I first moved to New York with yeah. um, Andrew McCarthy was was the was the leading role. Um, he directed yeah. Thoroughly Modern Millie. He directed Spring Awakening. Wait. Which was the thing that I thought yeah, okay. you probably would would know. And then he also directed American Idiot. Hedvig, which we mm, we failed yeah. to uh, see that connection, and um, Head Over Heels. I mean, he has a pretty large resume, yeah. so it, this, those are yeah, just those great, are like highlights. A, highlights, a solid resume. Um, solid resume. He was indeed the person who approached Green Day about adapting the album American Idiot for the stage. And then finally, this is the last one. Um, Green Day's album prior to American Idiot was called Warning, and it was released in 2000. It was actually not a flop in terms okay. of, um, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, in terms of like, it still, I think it got to number four on the charts, and hmm. um, but it wasn't the commercial success of their previous 90s outings. Because, you know, in the 90s, they had some huge, huge oh, yeah, they records. Were, they were a big deal. Um, and and I don't think I ever listened to it. I kind of had, yeah, I think, I have, until American Idiot, I had lost track of them a bit. Yeah, I have zero. Uh, it did get some. It did get some solid reviews that sort of pretended of a sea change in their writing and focus, which led to American Idiot. Hmm. I read that in one review, which was interesting. They were like, "This is a different Green Day," which may have been part of the reason why it wasn't as as huge as previous albums. I don't know. Hmm. Those are my rewinds. Okay. And unless you want to say anything else, I don't. I, I'm a, I think we should jump into the musical that you love. Okay. Because otherwise, I'm just going to keep getting dark because I just yeah, feel Yeah, you dark today, are coming so. off as a little dark and maybe even a little rambly. So 
Great. So, so cut me off. <laughs> so, cut me off. Well, similarly, cut me off. Um, well, since you since you uh, called me drunk this weekend and yelled at me for giving a book report when I talked about Sunday in the Park with George, you know, let's make sure we keep this would, conversation fresh. <laughs> I would never do something like that. Never. Obviously, obviously never do something obviously. like that. That would be shocking and appalling behavior. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm ready to talk about something that I love. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, you said before we started that there was no way in the world, um, that I was going to have either of these on no my way. list today. So, Guaranteed. so I'm, I'm fascinated to know what they are and they better not be movie musicals. You already um, broke that rule once. Well, I am going to be breaking rules. I can guarantee you I'll be breaking rules. Uh. Um, you know, Rules are made to be broken. You of all people should understand that. Um, all right. So this musical that I want to talk about that I love, I think, I think you may be surprised that I chose it just because it's so like totally opposite my like normal sensib- sensibilities. It's um, it's like sweet as apple pie uh, and like just as about just about as earnest as like earnest can be, which is, you know, obviously not me. Um, but for me, it's like very nostalgic and it just honestly just makes me happy whenever I experience this musical. Um, and you won't, maybe you won't be totally surprised. Cause like I did bring it up in prior episodes, I believe. Um, anyway, long story short, too late. The music I want to talk about is Roger and Hammerstein's the sound of music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So All right. in case you've been living under a rock, um, The Sound of Music, it's a musical with music by Richard Rogers, lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein II, and a book by Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss. I, I don't know if I, that's how you pronounce his name. Um, it's based on I the 1949 so. memoir of Maria von Trapp, uh, The Story of the Trapp Family Singers. It is is set in Austria on the eve of the annexation of Austria into Nazi Germany in 1938. Uh, The musical tells the story of Maria, who takes a job as governess to a large family while she decides whether to become a nun. She falls in love with the children, and then eventually their widowed father, Captain Von Trepp. Um, He is ordered to accept a commission in the German Navy, but he opposes the Nazis for some reason. Uh, he and Maria decide on a plan to flee Austria. Yeah, why would you oppose yeah. Nazis? Uh, Nazis are cool, man. Uh, yeah, so, and then, at, of course, at the end, uh, they decide on a plan to flee Austria with the children, which they do. Uh, the original Broadway production, starring Mary Martin, opened in 1959, and it won five Tony Awards, including Best Musical, um, out of nine nominations. It was then... Obviously, as you know, adapted as a 1965 film musical starring Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer, which won five Academy Awards. Uh, The Sound of Music was the last musical by Rodgers and Hammerstein. I'm not sure if you knew that. Uh, Oscar Hammerstein actually died of cancer nine months after the Broadway premiere. So there's, there's, oh my gosh, yeah, right. So there's, uh, there's the. So he wasn't there. He wasn't there to see the, the, film. the film, the success yeah, of the no, film, because that you know came several. I mean, not several years later, but six years later. So yeah, um, yeah. I'm gonna just talk about my personal experiences with this show a little bit. Um, like I said, I think I kind of dropped some breadcrumbs in earlier episodes. I, I think early on you asked me my first experience sort of in general with musicals. And I, I believe I referenced this film. Um, 
I remember being about, you did. yeah, you did. I was about seven years old um, and it was airing on television as it often did back in those days, many, many, many years ago. Uh, and I was floored as a kid, which I, you know, I feel like shouldn't be surprising. I think this show is like sort of crack cocaine for, for kids in like the five to eight year old set, um, which why um, it's Rogers and Hammerstein. So the music is like super hummable. Um also, I am totally going to recognize that I'm going against everything I said when I railed against Annie and children and musicals <laughs> by selecting this to talk about. But, you know, I'm sure you understand that sometimes our, our likes and dislikes are kind of just more emotional than logical sometimes. Um, also, Absolutely. it's funny. Also, it's funny because, you know, I saw Annie a little later uh, and like, you know, I saw this when I was younger. And when you experience a show like this at that age, like they're not annoying kids. They're just kind of your peers. You know what I mean? So like, it's funny. Um, right. The kids, you know, right. are pretty like wide. So like Liesl, like the oldest girl, she was like, oh, my God, that girl's so old to me. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, it's funny, like just picking these musicals. I'm just finding like over and over my my like affinity or disdain has has less to do in certain cases with like the craftsmanship although of course that's important than like where i am in my life just like when i meet them um yeah which i'm I'm not sure if that's true for you but it seems to be true for me i think i think it's true Mm -hmm. i think it's i mean it's uh, that uh, where you are affects and also all those other things that we've talked about over the the course of these episodes like what your expectations are and how, yeah, how mm-hmm. you are introduced to something and what you know about it in advance or don't know about it. I think all of those things make a huge difference. Totally. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, first I saw this on television. Um, I just remember being like m- most struck by the music. And of course, like in my mind, like iconic performance of Julie Andrews, who like, who could watch this as a kid and not just want to spend a day like, hanging out with Maria. She was just like super cool. Um, as I got older, not surprisingly, the sound of music was like, <laughs> seemed a little bit like corny and childish to me, but I still had this like fondness for it. Um, uh, I also mentioned this in a prior episode, uh, but that my next sort of experience with it was in the mid nineties uh, as part of this subscription series with none other than Marie Osmond in the leading role of Maria. Um, I actually sort of vaguely remember like dreading it. Just, I assumed that nobody could possibly match up to Julie Andrews. Um, and that, that was basically true. Uh, but again, like we were just talking about expectations. I totally had like rock bottom expectations. And uh, I, I just, I do remember walking away thinking like, Oh wow, this was like actually like a pretty satisfying and like well-written show. Um, and Marie Osmond, she was like, not the mess that I sort of assumed she was going to be. Um, yeah. So, that. Did you watch Marie Osmond? Like, did you watch the Donnie and Marie show when you were oh, a kid? I'm sure. Because we I did. definitely had, like, a pretty strong awareness of who she was. Although I feel like I knew more of her as the sister of, like, you know, former teenage heartthrob uh, Donnie. Oh, that's so weird. I always think of them, like, together. I like never symbiotic. even remember that he... Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. Because we watched yeah. that, we watched the Donnie, Donnie and Marie show. Uh, didn't he, wasn't, isn't there like a single that he was known for? Was it, who sings, um, oh no, no, I can't remember now. I was about, I was about to say, I think I'm alone now. I'm like, that's a Tiffany song. Um, 
Oh, all right. You know what? I'll have to, not sure. Have to come back to that. Um, but did he have like? I, did he have like singles on the radio? I maybe I I you don't know. Don't remember. I feel I like this should be more in your wheelhouse for your 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 age. I was like, I mean, what what? What is that supposed to mean? First of all, we're having some real technical difficulties. Like, I didn't oh. hear any of that question that you said until the very end. <laughs> um, so, I, but I don't remember any Donny Osmond singles. We're going to have okay. to look that up. Yeah, we'll have Definitely to have to that. look that up. Moving on. Um, yeah, so... My next experience with the show was a couple years later in college um, at DePaul University. I was part of a music fraternity because I am like so popular and cool. Um, the music fraternity was Mufi Epsilon. <laughs> um, actually, like quick aside. In case you're judging me for being in a music fraternity, the only reason I... <laughs> well, I don't really know what it means, so I'm glad that there's a quick aside. <laughs> okay. I mean, it was just, you know, an affiliation. And there'd be, like, meetings and, like, that was really all it was. It was, like, something to throw on your resume. Like, I don't remember what we would, like, talk about at meetings. But um, <laughs> anyway, well, so the only reason I joined is because um, as a music student, like, I came in freshman year and quickly found out there was this requ requirement to attend, like, a shitload of recitals of other music students which was like ostensibly to expand our music education but it was really just like a trick of the administration to like actually get like butts and seats um but it was like it's pretty brilliant yeah, you must yeah. admit yeah oh it was brilliant and i was like i get it but it was this crazy time sink and we like already were so busy with a million things and i was totally a good little rules follower like for most of freshman year but then I learned that there was like this open but like dirty little secret that if you befriended um, like an unscrupulous person in Mufi Epsilon, that they would punch your recital card um, because it was like this physical. Oh it was like a it was like a physical <laughs> card, and it was so this was like really low tech. It was like the late fucking nineties. So there, it was like a, it was like a physical card, and then like just like a hole punch, and it, like it, it was stored in a uh, in like a plastic box, in like um a, you know, and it was like stored in like a locked in a locker, and then like the Mufi Epsilon person would like show up at the at the front door of the recital room and like punch your card. Anyway, like all the like all of the like sneaky music students like they would have like somebody on the inside and they would just like fucking like punch their card like right at the beginning of the semester so that they never had to attend any uh any recitals so i was like oh my god well i'm gonna like i'm gonna like one up that and actually like be that person because i was like this is a win-win i can be like this will look good on my resume um i can beat the system from the inside and i could be like drunk with power like punching my friends cards so i did all of that um, so yeah, hopefully, you know, a representative from DePaul University doesn't listen to this like 20 years later and like revoke my scholarship. Um, I wonder if that's possible now. I'm sure they have a much more like high tech solution right now. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, lies and deceit to get ahead. It's the, Amer it's the American way, right, Tim? It's the American <laughs> way. It is the American way. Oh my goodness. All right. <laughs> so point of this slowly winding my way around to is I also signed up to be the social director for this music fraternity. Um, so you, as you may recall, I enjoyed throwing parties around that time because 
DePaul University is in Greencastle, Indiana, in the middle of cornfields. Um, so boring. So nothing to do. Um, so, th- so like, we would have these absolute ragers at our af- uh, off-campus apartment, which was sort of, like, ground zero for, like, stressed-out music kids, um, like, wilding out on the weekends. I kind of vaguely recall that didn't you actually come to one of our parties where, where somebody, like, puked off our porch? Yeah, of course I did. I yeah. think I came twice, you actually. You may have come twice. And we definitely had a a rager. Yeah. I think there was also yeah. one where we had to, like, call the plumber the next day because uh, our somebody had, like, shoved cigarette butts down our, like, uh, d- d- garbage disposal. So, anyway. Um, anyway, that... So, how what does this have to do with Sound of Music? You might be you might be wondering. Um, so I don't know. So I was the, I don't know. I was the but social, I know you're going to bring it home. Yeah, and yet I'm not. The story is just really going <laughs> nowhere. Um, I was the social director, and I had to organize some sort of social event. That actually, that last thing about the Rangers had actually no point. Uh, so I was the social director. I need to put something together, and I like I don't even know where I read it, but I read that around the world, people like had started doing Sound of Music sing-alongs. You remember this? Oh, kind of, like, yeah. Kind of like Rocky Horror Picture Show esque. So I was like, oh my god, that's so so much. Fun fun so in in like i would read that like people would come dressed up and of course sing along um so it's funny i like when i was researching ish this weekend uh the sound of music i actually looked this up out of curiosity like where did this come from um and i found this fun little article from the chicago tribune a couple years back and i just i'm just gonna read the this really quick um uh, so these sing-alongs, um, it began sort of organically at a gay and lesbian film festival in London in the late nineties, where the idea was to show the movie with the lyrics on the screen said burnt Fink, the PR man for the Rogers and Hammerstein organization, which handles the copyright for the stage version of the show. Um, a very smart London film producer saw an opportunity, according to Fink, and quickly set up the sing-along screenings at the Prince Charles Cinema, which is a delightfully seedy cinema in London's West End. Uh, and believe it or not, it's been playing there ever since. This is a few years ago. I'm not sure if it still is. Um, costumes are encouraged and everybody gets a goodie bag with props, including a sprig of Edelweiss. Uh, the Rogers and Hammerstein organization heard about the show through friends and sent president and executive director Ted Chapin to England to check it out. Here's how Fink remembers Chapin's assessment. At times it's raunchy and silly, but it's ultimately reverential and these are clearly people who love the movie and we should encourage it, which I found that to be refreshing because sometimes like estates can be weird about things, um, but apparently right, they had a right, sense of humor. For sure. Apparently had a sense of humor about it. So Anyway, I organized one of these at Tapa. It was in the the basement of a dorm uh, where I could run a projector. Um, I, I literally think maybe only a dozen people attended, but I had totally had fun. I dressed up as brown paper packages tied up with string because it was totally absurd and easy to throw together. Um, so I was kind of I wanted to ask you who you would dress up as. Oh my gosh! I wanted I to put seen... you. I wanted to put you on the spot and like, like who would you dress up as? Have you? I haven't seen that musical oh. in more than a decade. I don't okay. even know. I would. I would probably dress up as um, Liesel's, uh boyfriend. Okay. All right. Or you could like find another lyric from from my favorite That's true. things. Yeah. 
I think I would want to be that's Mother true. Abbess. That's true. I think I would want to be Mother Abbess because, like, let's be honest, dressing up as a nun is, like, fun. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to talk about the music a little bit. Um, the music, as I have said, is insanely accessible, um, and it, it is chock full of standards. Um, there's the opening title song, which is forever, forever intrinsically linked with the iconic opening scene from the film, with the uh, the overhead shot of Maria singing and blissfully, you know, spinning through the hills. Um, songs they have sung for a thousand years. Uh, so love that one. Uh, I love 16 going on 17, uh, which is the song stating that Liesel, the eldest girl, is a, is a young girl beginning her womanhood and could depend on Rolf, the character you were referring to, uh, for guidance since he's a good year older. It's a rare moment in the show where one of the children actually gets to step forward, like center stage and sing something. Cause like basically Maria does most of the singing in the show. Um, this song is like forever linked in my mind to the film scene of the two characters dancing around the gazebo. Do you remember that scene? No. Oh my God. I just, I thought, I told wow. you it's been so long since I've seen this. I All mean, right. we saw, we saw like in in April when we were watching a bunch of classic movies. Mm-hmm. We saw like probably fifteen minutes of it, like at the very end, okay. like the okay. escape okay. scene. Oh yeah, okay. um, and which it's so weird because as a child, and even when you're talking about yeah. it, like I forget the context of the musical oh as a whole. Stakes are because high. it's so <laughs> because it's yeah, yeah because it's so like. Happy totally, and fun totally, and, totally. and joyous in and so yet, much of it. Like this under, there's, there's this like lurking undercurrent. There's a darkness like underneath all of that. Yeah, and like Liesel is like drawn to the Nazi. Totally. And yeah. The, and and von Tra- like I I it makes me so curious about. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that some of the basic facts. Mm-hmm are correct in the adaptation, but it would, it, I've never even thought about like reading that book hmm. to see what it actually. That's so funny. You know, it's weird. I've actually never, now that you said that, I've never read that book. So I have homework to do that. I think that may be my next read. Um, so the, the gazebo. It would be, it would be fascinating. Yeah, it would be Sorry, fascinating. go ahead. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm inspired now to read that. Um, so, uh, so that gazebo, I, <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's probably like a, you know, fucking film set. But apparently they filmed an exterior of that real gazebo and it, and it exists. And it's uh, it's visited by hundreds of tourists each day and tours around Salzburg. Oh, wow. Fun facts. But they did shoot the like interior shots like in Hollywood, like at a soundstage. Right, or right, right, right. But yeah, I was like, oh, my God, that's like really a place. Um, oh, actually, it's funny when I was reading up about that song, too. I read that there was a parody by Don French and Jennifer Saunders in an episode of French and Saunders, um, where uh, as one of several sketches based on the movie, the two sit in the gazebo singing the lyrics. I am French and you are Saunders. Simply amazing, unique and new I'm every man's waking dream Dazzling, eccentric, just you small Poetry, a theme I
<laughs> I was like, I have to see this. Like, didn't we used to have like French and Saunders yes. on DVD? I don't still have them, so I don't know what happened to them. I have I have one of them, but I don't know how many there are. Yeah. But I'm I didn't positive see... that's not on there. Yeah, I definitely didn't see that. And I was like, I have to find this because that is like brilliant. If you don't know, listeners, Don French and Jennifer Saunders, they're like super like famous British comedians um uh, jennifer saunders of course from absolutely fabulous she plays eddie um yeah and dawn french she's hilarious she's on like graham norton all the time and it's just like like beyond funny so funny um anyway uh so another song that i love in the show is my favorite things um so beautiful song i know you like that song so uh in this song all the kids come into a room because they're scared of a thunderstorm and she's she comforts them by asking them to sort of remember all their favorite things um and i just want to take a moment here to say how fucking weird it is for me that this song has like evolved into a like a holiday standard like yeah on the one hand i totally get it because it's like listing all these things that could like ostensibly be gifts but like I'm such a musical theater queen that every time I hear it, like in a holiday show, I'm like, oh my God, this is so out of context. This is not like a materialistic fantasy song. Actually, I was thinking about it this weekend and I was like, huh, this is like essentially a song about like mental gymnastics and like battling anxiety, (laughs) which is like weirdly deep when you think about it that way. Um, And so I was also sort of thinking this song is like very like 2020. right now because i would say that the dog is definitely biting and the bee is definitely stinging these days so i wanted to like ask you like i want to play a little game and ask you like 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 surely you have been playing this game with yourself and i wanted to ask you like what are have been your favorite things that you've been thinking about to like put put the anxiety at bay don't think just 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 put it out there well, I mean, Aperol spritzes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, yeah, okay. All right, I'll accept that. That's I mean, I definitely have more than one Aperol spritz. <laughs> um, like, I, 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 I guess, I mean, just consuming, I've been consuming a lot of media. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, news and stuff, but also television and films like i said mm-hmm. watching classic films and reading and trying to feel like i'm still learning something and educating myself even though there's you know there's days where like nothing is necessarily happening sure um but that is so interesting that you say that because i i wonder i about the song specifically mm-hmm. because i wonder i believe that it, it's very possible that Barbara was the first person who did that, who, made, oh, who did that's it. on her holiday oh. album. And that was from the early seventies, I believe. Yeah. And I wonder if that was the first time that song was, was taken and put into that context. Could be. I mean, we that, could would be that, that would be, that would be, yeah, that would be an interesting thing to learn yeah. because you're so right. It is, it is such a weird song for, to be in a holiday yeah. on a holiday album. When the dog bites, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things like silver white winters that melt into springs. 
because it is about I love I love what you said. It is it is <laughs> it is like convincing yourself that everything, that everything is, is going to be all going right to be okay. Which I'm like, this is a great song for now. Um, similar to and you- also. And also the thunderstorm mm-hmm. obviously is a larger symbol yeah, it's a metaphor, of what like is it, coming. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. It, yes, yes. It's a great song in that context. And you think about it in the show and yeah, and like the the uh, the Nazi sort of invasion and all of that. Yeah. Like there is like, uh, it's so funny because yeah, with Roger and Hammerstein, there's like, it's, it seems very like surface and simple but there are like there are like these like dark undercurrents to some of their work well because that's also they wrote oklahoma right yeah yeah Yeah. and that also that show but see that's the same thing that's so interesting mm -hmm. i mean sound of music was way more overt about it because they did actually you know they had to deal with what was happening and they had to escape etc but but i think the thing that's so crazy about oklahoma the way that i used to remember it before the the saint anne's a warehouse production is that I just thought of it in the same way. It's like, oh, it's just a fun show. It's a it's a show about love. It's a show, totally. but it's really well, I mean, fucking you kind of dark. said that at the top of this too about Sound of Music that you caught the end and were like, oh, like kind yeah, of forgetting had, about that. Yeah, yeah, because it as a child, I guess sure. that's not what a lot stuck of it, with me. A you lot know? of it's like lost on you. Like you understand that there are bad things happening, but I don't think you like yes. quite understand the scope of like what's at stake uh really um you know it's funny because when i asked what like what was comforting you i thought you were gonna quickly say justin bieber oh (laughs) that was the response i was looking for but uh but you gave a more honest and earnest answer so well i mean justin bieber has definitely (laughs) helped um which that's perfectly okay i feel like whatever people need to whatever people need to do right now to get through these interesting times more more power to them um yeah i think i'm i think if i was i i do feel like i'm in a bit of a dark place today so <laughs> justin bieber was not the first thing that popped into <laughs> although i can i can see him on your wall behind you so. <laughs> oh my goodness um okay so that's probably enough about my favorite things moving on another standard in the score i want to mention is do re mi um uh, i just find this a f- absolutely brilliant song on every level because Rogers it and, really is. Because Rodgers and Hammerstein, they somehow managed to make music education look like a fucking blast. Like in this song, they focus on solfege, which is a music education method used to teach aural skills where every note of the scale is assigned its own unique syllable. Um, it's just kind of brilliant to me in terms of storytelling. They needed like a efficient way to quickly get past the hurdle of like, okay, so Maria now need, need, needs to like practically teach them about music. Um, so they managed to take such a boring concept and make it super fun by in the film, like setting them out on the hills and, and making a game of it, having the kids associate the syllables with real life things. So like do a deer, a female deer, ray, a drop of golden sun. And 
then later in the song, as, as I'm sure you know, they get to play around with the different tones using different intervals. Um, seeing this as a young kid when I was just sort of embarking on my own music education, it was just kind of like, oh my God, I want to do that. Like, music is fun. Music is fun. Um, <clears throat> of, co- of course, like most things, like real life is considerably less dull than the movies. And I, I still think I have like a little bit of PTSD from my college years taking music theory because we would have these soulfish tests where we would be locked in a practice room with a music theory teacher and have to do like all of these crazy interval tests. And it was really painful. But I still love Do Re Mi. I just love this song and it makes me so God, happy. God, that is so... Sh- I am like a little like flabbergasted right now. Why? That of all... Like per- like both of those songs yeah. are... I mean, I, I, my favorite things is, yes, a little bit darker, but Do Re Mi is like such a fucking like happy, 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 like yeah. joy, joy, joy song. But I love the fact that you connect it with with music and don't just find it like... No, it's not a distraction. Horribly, horribly what? I don't know. Horribly like pedantic or or no. I think it serves like this really. It's like really effective storytelling. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. And like it gets it gets them past that hurdle. So like yeah, it's like okay, yeah, it's ridiculous that they like come back and like suddenly are like playing guitar and like know how to. But like it works. Like you always are suspending your disbelief and like, I just find it like it gets you from A to Z really quickly in terms of the story. Um, The the last song I kind of wanted to lift out and just chat about is climb every mountain, which is of course another standard. Um, It's sung at the close of the first act by mother Abbas. And it's this inspirational anthem, encouraging Maria to take every step towards attaining her dreams. Um, my most recent experience with this song was the NBC live telecast of the show in November 2013. I, incidentally, I can't believe that was like seven years ago. Um, what? Yeah, right? That was seven years ago? Right? I was like, oh, that's scary. Um, so, you know, they're, of course, now doing more of these live musical broadcasts and, and different networks are doing it as well. But this was kind of like the first of its recent kind. Um, and <laughs> as you probably recall, it starred Carrie Underwood, which Carrie is Underwood. dreadful, yes. dreadful casting, if I may say. Uh, but in this particular. And oh, no, go ahead. And and the and the general too, who was um, what he was from True Blood. What was his oh, name? Oh, I don't even remember. Is oh, Stephen Moyer, wasn't it? Oh, right? Stephen Moyer. Oh my Stephen god, Moyer. I totally yes. liter- like totally also, forgot like, he was in that. That was a weird casting. Very strange yeah, casting yeah, yeah. decision. Very strange. Oh my god, very that strange. Was so weird. I totally forgot that he was in that. Um, anyway, who I didn't forget was in this particular scene uh, playing Mother Abbas was none other than. Your favorite Broadway actress, oh, uh, Audra McDonald. So yep. um, she sings this to Carrie Underwood. And there was like much amusement and delight and commentary on the internet that night because Carrie was generally like, let's be honest, pretty terrible. But in this scene, she was like suddenly really effective and actually emoting. And the commentary was more along the lines of, well, of course, because she didn't have to act because you could see she was like essentially having an internal meltdown, having Audra like six months like six six inches from her face just like absolutely <laughs> scrolling for days
I remember <laughs> you that. You remember scene that? Like everyone, it was, oh, it was, was so awful. Tell, oh my god, it was amazing, and you could tell Carrie it was, was going through awful. it. Oh, you could tell she was oh, going yeah, she through was going it, through which through which it. she she should have been, yeah, but she should have been. Like so, I could like empathize is that the right word i'm not sure but like with her yeah. because and i know you have heard me tell this story a million times but when i first started working on musical theater works right out of college there were rehearsals going on for a reading of a new michael john lacusa musical and audra was doing their reading um they were in the next rehearsal room over from our offices and I don't really remember like why if somebody didn't show up or they suddenly had a need, but they like came over to my workstation because uh, they knew I was a pianist and they were like, oh, we need a page turner for the uh, for the reading. So I was like, obviously like, yeah, OK. So I walked in the rehearsal room, plopped down in like the chair right next to the piano bench and Audra was like legit standing like directly six inches like to my right, like with her music on the piano singing and I had to do like insane mental gymnastics to like actually focus on the score and the piano part because and do my job to turn the pages because like the musical theater queen in me was having like a full on meltdown. And I so like when I was watching like Carrie in the scene, I was like, oh, my God, I, I, I feel because it's like I just my brain was like going blank in that moment. <laughs> in that moment. Again, it was it was it was like a, um, it, it was like a Jake Gyllenhaal moment for me. Which I guess right, I, right, I will right, right. always I will always refer to them as Jake Gyllenhaal moments. Yeah, that's everything about the music. The story I'm not really going to go into the story because I already mentioned it at the top of this discussion. And like, hello, who is like really unfamiliar with the show? And if they are, I'm not sure what they're doing listening to this podcast. Um, I just want to talk about the reviews real quick. Um, okay, it's interesting to me because the reviews for both the stage show and the film were pretty mixed. Um, the New York times gave the stage, uh, praised Mary, Mary Martin's performance and stated, uh, the best of the sound of music is Rogers and Hammerstein in good form. Um, however, the reviewer said the libretto has the hackneyed look of the musical theater replaced with Oklahoma in 1943. It's disappointing to see the American musical stage succumbing to the cliches of operetta. Um, Walter Kerr's review in the New York Herald Tribune was unfavorable. Uh, Before The Sound of Music is halfway through its promising chores, it becomes not only too sweet for words, but almost too sweet for music, stating that the (laughs) evening suffers from little children. (laughs) Oh my god. I was like, oh my god, that's snarky. (laughs) It's funny, though. Um, But, as I mentioned earlier, it went on to win five Tony Awards, including Best Musical and Leading Actress for Mary Martin. Uh, Regarding the film, it was also mixed. The New York Times criticized its, quote, romantic nonsense and sentiment. Uh, The children's, quote, artificial roles and Robert Wise's, quote, cozy cum corny direction. Uh, The New York Herald Tribune dismissed dismissed the movie as, quote, icky sticky and designed for the five to seven set and their mommies. Um, In her review for McCall's (laughs) magazine, Pauline Kale, I don't know if I pronounced her name right, called the film, quote, the sugar coated lie people seem to want to (laughs) eat. And the audiences oh have, quote, turned into emotional and aesthetic imbeciles when we hear ourselves humming the sickly goody-goody songs. In general, I think the uh, it was noted that the East Coast papers and magazines sort of destroyed the film, uh, while like, West Coast papers and trades gave it great reviews. Um, but, you know, just like the stage musical, despite the mixed reviews for the film, it was a major commercial success. Uh, it was number one at the box office movie after four weeks and the highest grossing 
film of 1965. By November 1966, The Sound of Music had become the highest grossing film of all time, surpassing Gone with the Wind and held that distinction for five years. Um, yeah, and wow. it went on to win five Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. And did and Julie Andrews won? I she? don't believe she did. Oh, wow. I mean, maybe she did. I don't know. I guess I should have looked that up. I can probably look it up right now. Um, wow. Yeah. So you, you uh, that's everything I wanted to say, which was a lot, but um, thank you for bearing with me. And, but so you really don't have much of a take on this or what's your take on this musical? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I remember watching it as a kid. It's just one of those things that um, it was on probably also annually, sort of like the Wizard of Oz was, okay. you know, back in the day when everything wasn't just accessible by the push of a couple of buttons. Sure. And so it was a family event we would sit down mm-hmm. and watch it and you know it was a long fucking movie oh, yeah. it was like three hours i think probably definitely three um, hours for sure and we would we would watch it but i think that probably stopped you know in my like when i was maybe 12 or 13 mm-hmm. or something around there so I, and then to be honest i don't think i have probably watched the entire film since then so that was quite a, a few years ago well um what about other uh, when was the last like revival has there been a revival in the last even 20 years here um no i'm not sure i don't really remember one yeah i did yeah. i did look up and note that julie andrews was only nominated she did not win okay yeah i don't it's possible that there haven't been since the 1998 broadway revival so 1998 oh, okay yeah. that's crazy i mean it's such a huge show but i guess I wonder if it's just more challenging than some of the others. Maybe to put all those to damn to those damn seven kids. All those kids. Maybe what? Uh, did, what did, the little children? What did they call them? <laughs> I don't know. Something about imbeciles. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, um, anyway. Wow. I'm ready. You said you're in a dark place. I'm ready to hear about something you you hate. If 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 we're done with sound of music. I guess we're done with it. I mean, I feel kind of sad that I don't have more to contribute and that I don't know more about Donny Osmond. But um, alas, we will have to I'll look up Donny Osmond and see what his recording career was as a as a teenage heartthrob for next time for next time for next time or next time or the time after that. Yeah. Um, All right. We can move on. Here we go. This is, uh, yeah, this is an interesting, I mean, I'm assuming that you're going to have a lot to add to this too, which is good because okay. I actually realized that I didn't, I didn't write down the plots for either of the shows that I'm going to talk about. Oh, um, fun. so we'll have to, we, we can, yeah, we can put those together. I don't, I, I, I it's weird because I don't remember a great deal about this. I don't actually remember if I had wanted to see it or not, but I probably did because um, it was uh, written by one of my favorite 
recording artists of all time. So there's a good chance I was excited about it. But this was actually a show that you and I saw together. Oh, God. And I'm pretty sure it was after we broke up and we were still living together and we were trying really hard to be friends and make things work between us. So when we made our way to the Palace (laughs) Theater with your parents, who I'm pretty sure bought our tickets, we were both sporting good faces, no doubt, and they likely had little idea of how tense and awful things were between us when we saw Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida. Oh my God. 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 I'm only having a major reaction because I came this close to talking about this as a musical that I hated. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, good. Like, it That's, was I, I, literally between this <laughs> and the, like, other thing that I ended up picking. So... <laughs> Well, it's funny because I almost I almost had John text you and say, could you tell me what you're talking about? So we we didn't I I didn't remember you hating this as much (laughs) as I did. But I'm I'm looking forward to hearing about it. It's funny because I I think I've grown to hate it more over time. Oh, really? I just like (laughs) and I've only seen it once. Oh my god! I just like locked it in a box and was like, I never need to like experience that again. But now I think we no we shared we shared that I think we shared how much we hated it because I no but you know what now that I'm talking about it I was excited to see it because I remember you know he released the concept album of him with all of these different pop stars yeah, well, singing the singing most of the score there was dead and there was and, that you may be planning to talk about this but there was that Deborah Cox dance remix of Easy as was there is Easy as Life is that a song from the show. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Oh, yeah. She yeah. made similar to when you were talking about Evita and Madonna. She like made the like way around town, like like and like that song would come on the dance floor at the Roxy, and everyone would be like, Whoa! "Oh my god, <laughs> oh my god." We have we have to put a clip from that on oh, here. We, we have to put a clip from that on will. But so like that that is um, like my my only like happy memory of uh, of that show is because like Deborah Cox is actually pretty fabulous and did this ridiculous yeah. gay dance. We saw Deborah Cox. Did we? I we think. saw Deborah Cox. Did we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's how we much saw I Deborah Cox. Who played the like Sherry Renee Scott type character? Was it? <sighs> I don't remember. Because Taylor that. Dane went in for that too. Did you know that? She went in. Oh, and funny enough, I'm just like hijacking this conversation. Like Chris and I saw her for New Year's Eve at Splash back in the day. And she sang selections from Aida. Tell it to my heart. Yeah, yeah. But that's her her big thing, right? Tell it to to my heart. Um, So yeah. So actually, those were my only happy memories of Aida is when all of the like gay disco divas would like sing selections from it and like, you know nightclubs and bars <laughs> oh my god oh my god okay like do we have to talk about well, the show <laughs> a little bit i i mean i you know it's always interesting to learn some of this stuff like i um obviously as i said it was written by the power duo of elton john and tim rice who had just had a huge hit with the lion king and apparently disney approached them about doing aida as another animated feature 
but they said they were not interested. Okay. So Disney said, what about doing a stage musical of Aida? And they said, yes. Um, the book was written by, and I am uh, sorry to say that I don't know all of these writers, Linda Wolverton, Robert Falls, and David Henry Huang. Mm-hmm. I do know David Henry Wang. He's probably best known for M. Butterfly, Golden Child. He recently um, wrote the book for the musical Soft Power with Janine Tesori. Oh. Um, I also learned that he wrote the book for Tarzan, the Disney animated film, as well as the stage version, which hmm. I did not know. Okay. And he is currently a professor of playwriting at Columbia University. Um this is so it is of course based on the opera and you're going to hopefully help me of the same name written by Antonio Gisalazzoni the libretto you mean yeah with music by Giuseppe Verdi yeah I was going to say I'll just know it as Verdi because I never pay close attention to who writes opera librettos okay well then you don't know how to pronounce his name either okay it looks like Gisalazzoni Gisalazzoni sure um Aida originally premiered in Cairo in late 1871. So, who knew? Yeah. The plot focuses on some people taking over some other people and forcing them into servitude. And the head of the the one group... Is is yeah exactly is uh, engaged to um, well Adam Pascal is engaged to Sherry Renee Scott except he falls in love with one of the servants who have been put into subjugation um, who is played by Heather Headley and she yes. is actually a uh, a Nubian princess and she's trying to keep that under wraps so that they don't like see, use her. Did, did, Oh no, we didn't see Heather Hadley. We saw Deborah Cox. We saw Deborah Cox. Oh, I wish we I'd saw seen Cox. Heather Hadley because she she would have made that more palatable. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is that ba- that's basically what happens, yeah. right? And in the and in the musical, it all starts in a museum, and then we are transported back in time to. Uh, we're looking at like some Egyptian <laughs> artifacts, and then we're transported back in time to um you know the 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 past okay um it had its world premiere at the alliance theater in atlanta where it ran from uh just a couple of months in 1998 um that was when heather headley and sherry renee scott became attached to it and they remained attached through the broadway opening there was a massively revised production which opened in chicago in november of 99 so a Hmm. year later and ran for a couple of months through january of 2000 and then again only those two performers remained in principal roles from the previous but this is where the gravelly voiced adam pascal joined the production (laughs) it premiered on broadway uh march 23rd of 2000 and ran for 1852 performances closing on september 5th 2004 it was nominated for five tony awards and won four of them including best original score and best actress for heather headley um just in case you don't know anything about Heather Headley, I also learned I didn't know she originated the role of Nala in The Lion yes. King. Yes. Oh my God. How I could didn't you know not, that. How could you not know that? Well, because you're not. A I musical, don't know. Because you're not a, a musical theater person. <laughs> and and I'm I I am pretty positive that I didn't see her. Yeah. Um, no. no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have seen her. No. Yeah. No. Uh, she played the the Whitney role of the musical adaptation of The Bodyguard in London. 
which well, uh, you probably know never made it to Broadway. I know. I totally would have watched. I totally would have gone to see that, though. Um, she took over for Jennifer Hudson in the recent revival of The Color Purple in the role of Suge Avery. Which I should have and this seen. Is something I, I saw Jennifer Hudson. I know. I wanted I, to see I it know. again when Heather went into it, but sadly, oh well. <sighs> Her debut album, This Is Who I Am, was nominated for two Grammys, one of them being the Best New Artist Award, making her the first Tony Award winner to be nominated for that award, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, the US national there was a US national tour from 2001 to 2003. There was a non-equity tour from 2006 to 2007. Aida has been translated into 16 languages. It has never, however, been staged professionally in the UK, despite it being the home of both its composer and lyricist, wow, that's which weird. I thought was fascinating. Yeah. And a little bit uh, akin to what was it that we were that we were talking about? Oh, it was the it was was it Evita or was it Jesus Christ um, Superstar that Jesus that, Christ Superstar started happened in New York? Yes, that was right. Happened in New happened York, in New York before West yeah. End. Yeah. 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 No, Evita so, started in West End. Known songs, every story is a love story, enchantment passing through, elaborate lives. Um, it's, I mean, I elaborate am laughing lives. so hard that you're referring to those as known songs because I literally don't remember any of those songs. Really? <laughs> no. Uh, I guess that I must have, I think I must have, um, I did listen to the soundtrack a little bit because I yeah. have a few of these songs on my iTunes. Okay. So I realized that I, that I must have liked them a little bit. I mean, Elaborate Lives is just like, a, it's a pretty, you know, it's a it's a fairly beautiful generic pop song. We all lead such elaborate lives, wild ambitions in our sights, how an affair of the heart survives days apart and hurried nights. did you why did you hate this musical so much um you know i i think okay the next song which you probably know the gods love nubia i believe yeah yeah. is the best song and the only song that it act that actually feels like it should maybe be in this musical the other songs are just they just sound like kind of generic elton john stuff of that period and i i was i think i was really bummed about that because i love elton john especially like 70s you know late 60s 70s um and even into the 80s some stuff um so i think i was just kind of i was just disappointed as a whole i mean written in the stars is such an incredibly generic pop song, you know, that he recorded with Leanne Rhymes. Do you remember oh, that? God. Is it written in the stars? I'll be paid for some crime. Is that all that we are good for? 
yeah. I'm telling you, yeah. I put this in yeah. a box, like locked it and threw away the key. Like I don't remember anything like song wise from it. I remember my experience of watching it, having a very wicked experience with it though, where it was like a lot of like clunky ensemble numbers. So it was just oh, kind of like that could have been I'm... cut. That could have been cut. That could have been cut. That could have been cut. <laughs> well, the worst one, which is, um, this the the most i mean it's a god awful song called like father like son okay it has to be one of the worst songs ever written for musical theater and i remember <laughs> both of us statement. <laughs> both of us working really hard not to laugh during this oh, really? like i remember okay. that was a, like we had this little moment where we were like yeah. like your parents were like you know they were of course their eyes were on the stage yeah. and we were just like, like oh my nothing. god what the fuck is happening <laughs> it's 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 kind of reminiscent you saw the in butterfly right which of course yes. was, was written by david henry wang so sorry and it reminded me of that horrible julie Taymor production of in butterfly oh. where they were doing those weird you know community theater dances yeah, but it was like a dollar in the like production. father like son mm-hmm. in like father like son they had like staffs and swords and there were all these men in these like harsh like modern you know warfare outfits yeah. and it was just absolutely yeah. horrible That was the point where I was like, this is a horrible musical. I remember, even though there were a few songs that I liked. Well, so um, and of course, as you know, I I am not a fan of Adam Pascal. So uh, no, you established that in our last episode. I was just shocked when I when I saw how like when I talked about all of those productions that followed and Mm -hmm. how long it toured. And yeah, I was just like, really? Yeah. Like, I remember it like running for a long time and like doing well people going into it and i was kind of like how why yeah. i just never really was and like it, this is not good that was that's a huge theater too, the palace right isn't that where we just saw sunset boulevard uh yes it's because it's so old yeah. it was like a bathroom that's yeah. like big enough for like one and a half human beings in the balcony yeah uh, yeah no that is yeah. a big and theater. it's massive mm-hmm. and you're like scrunched together there's yeah. no room like in that super in that uncomfortable Super uncomfortable. Um, I saw Liza Minnelli there, though. With oh, oh, Liza, Liza the, the Palace, palace of with uh, with much better seats. I sprung for like orchestra seats for that, but we actually we had good seats for Aida. I remember we were like first row mess. We had great seats, yeah, which yeah, made it really all the more disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I had um, L seats or something. So did you have more? I have a few. Tidbits? I have a few fun facts. Okay. A few. During the Chicago run at the Cadillac Theater, a set mass set miss. <laughs> during the Chicago run at the Cadillac Theater, a set mishap during the final moment of the performance injured stars Headley and Pascal. Oh. According to an eyewitness report, while the two actors were being conveyed in a suspended box-like tomb at the climax of the show, the set piece fell from its support oh my God. eight feet above the stage. A subsequent press release from the show's publicist stated that Headley and Pascal sustained minor injuries and were taken to Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Both were released from the hospital a few hours later. From then on, the tomb remained on the ground. Oh my they God. did not elevate it anymore. Wow. Um, oh, this will, this is that was like oh, a little like, talked about. That was like a, I mean, that's nothing compared to Spider-Man turn off the oh. dark where they I think they probably yeah. had like tick marks. Like it has been this many days since the last onstage death, basically. Yes. Yeah. Or, or, or like May severe May. injury. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
pop stars including Deborah Cox, who we saw, Tony Braxton, oh, right. and Michelle Williams of Destiny's Child all played the title role in the Broadway run. Oh my God! Adina okay. Menzel appeared as Amneris, the role originated by Sherry Renee Scott, which okay. I thought you would love. Yeah, to know. I don't. I mean, I I love to know that. I'm glad I didn't see it. <laughs> and then um, following the success of the stage version, Disney began planning a major live action motion picture adaptation. In July 2007, it was reported that Beyonce was attached to portray the title role alongside Christina Aguilera as Amneris. However, no further reports of the adaptation's production have surfaced since. Wow. I can guarantee so well, we maybe may never would get still to do see that, but... Aida again okay well um i'm fine with that yeah it's interesting i mean uh obviously there's there's subjugation and class are major motifs in this story um one of the interesting things as we've been talking about and it is so prevalent in conversations right now uh in the theater is that um radams radami how do you pronounce his name rodimus is that rodimus (laughs) rodimus i mean i I, I think Rodimus and Amneris are and both. Amneris. Ha- were both Amneris were both played by uh, white actors. I think yeah. in in most of the productions and certainly on Broadway, while Aida sure. was played by a woman of color, which is right, which okay. was um, which is which is you know whatever it is. I just thought it was an interesting mm-hmm. thing to 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 highlight in the to lens highlight. of our current. Yes. our current like as, as like as discussed during our Avita episode. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I feel like I listened to some of this today and I still liked a few of those, of those tunes. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, I think Elaborate Lives and the Gods of Nubia are both like good but what's, songs. What's like, Amneris's songs. big song? She has some like ridiculous song. Like, in the oh, first it's act about like about, changing, it was some wardrobe, like, changing costume. Right? Yeah. It was so terrible. And so like, I don't remember yeah, what the hell that vacant. was. Yeah. Yes. I listened to that part of that today and I was just like, this is, that was another thing that we both hated. I remember that. I remember being like, and then, why is this a moment? Like, what is happening? Why is this a moment yeah. in the show right now? From your cradle via trousseau to your deathbed, you're on view. So never compromise except no substitute. I would rather wear a bearer than and then the same fucking moment happens in the musical adaptation of Billy Elliot, also written by Elton John, which huh. I thought was horrible, um, where the, the friend does this big costume Does she? Number, okay. Right? I don't really remember. No, the boy. Oh, okay. The boy, the yeah, gay yeah, boy. Yeah. I don't remember, like, hating that musical that much, though, Billy Elliot. Uh, I think... I think it was hard to live up to that film. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure. You know, so I like, you know, like I said, this was like in my top three of like maybe musicals I wanted to talk about that I hated. But I was like, I have like one other association with this show, but then I was like, I don't know how I can tell that story because it was like similar to Shanna's story that I'm like. Uh, grandma can't listen to that can't can't hear that story so i have like a i have a i have another which is what i mean uh, oh like (laughs) i went to i went out uh to a gay club in indianapolis in like when this like soundtrack came out and 
I'm literally like, I don't know how I, how I can even tell this story, but um, it was the, basically I refer to this as the worst hookup of my entire life. So <laughs> I like, I like met somebody out and about, I was like with friends, but I met people at like, I think I'm, yeah, I met him at OP. This is what the the artist formerly oh, I remember uh, that. I remember that place. So the club in, in, in Indianapolis, which has now been rebranded, but it was OPs and the O was on the sign was made out of a toilet let's see um and they had like two dollar like charming long island. charming yeah and they had like two two dollar long island iced teas or something um yeah so i met someone and then because who I, was what a dancer on the show was he no with the tour? no it was just um we uh so some like the evening was wrapping and he's like oh do you want to like come back to my place and i'm like sure like keep in mind i like went to college in Greencastle, Indiana, which was a 45-minute drive from Indianapolis. And I probably established, like, where he was from, but, like, he went to college in a completely different town that was, like, even further than Greencastle, like, from Indianapolis. So I, like, piled into a car with him and his friends, like... This was just like so stupid. And like the entire, literally, the in- this was like an hour and a half drive. So like at the end of the evening and like the entire drive from him, like from Indianapolis to like his college town, they listened to the Aida soundtrack <laughs> beginning <laughs> to finish. And like every one of them in the car knew every single fucking word of the show and they were like screaming it like road trip scream singing this musical and i didn't know the musical at all i was like oh my god this is so crappy and it like completely sobered me up (laughs) wait so this was before we saw it obviously yes so i'm kind of shocked that i wanted to see the show so so like and then then it was it was an unfortunate hookup yeah so then i got to the individual's house and it was i will fast forward it was it was not the greatest experience i've had in my life um but then yeah and then like the next morning was like super awkward because i'm like i'm like oh I am not in my town now. And then he had to like drive. And now me. you have to drive have me to back. Drive me back to my college town. Like it was just not, it was not. Oh a cute my scene. God. So that was, where like, did you go? Like Bloomington or something? <sighs> you know what? It was the town where Rose Holman is. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Which is like an additional, like 45 Ro- minutes away. So yeah, it was, this was not like a 15 minute drive. Oh it was God. like, a sizable drive but yeah anyway so that's the clip notes version but like yeah i have this like yeah uh, this other like bad sense memory of the musical aida and also that like is of crazy all the musicals like wanted to why, go see it like why were these people like super into aida the musical i don't get it that is hysterical hysterical on that well note. <laughs> on that note um, I think we can uh, say that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> I can't guarantee we won't edit that last part out. <laughs> We're not going to edit that last part out. Right. You didn't say anything bad. No, no. Um, I'm going to hear about it, I hope. No, you but... will. <sighs> All right. Okay. Well, 
We are going to say farewell to you for now. So we long. hope you farewell. Farewell. Adidas. See, look Adidas at that. Bring it back. Goodbye. Bring it back. Adieu. Lovely. Adieu. Lovely. Okay, let's cut the track. Cut the track. Cut the track. Bye, everyone. Bye.